0: I don't know what's happening lately, Reed, but I I seem to be having more and more meetings on my calendars every day.
1: Yeah, sounds like the trend. You
0: know, that that funny little statement that says, this meeting could have been an email. Mm -hmm. I wonder why in the pandemic, why did we instead realize that we needed to do video conferencing for meetings?
1: I think we started doing video versus stopping by people's offices in person. And so here we are.
0: It's so inherent in all of us as humans to want to have meetings, I guess, huh?
1: Maybe we just do it as a podcast and you release it to your team and then you know whether or not they listened or not. Welcome to
2: Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way.
1: Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 230, 230 on the dial. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. Good to have this meeting with you. That's right. We release it for other people to listen to. Yeah, our meetings. It's really all these are anyway. It's just us meeting, but people have tuned in and we're very thankful for that. So if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. If you're back for yet another episode or another week, welcome back. Uh, We certainly appreciate all the support. We put these out and publicize them. Certainly people that subscribe, obviously get notified and and would encourage you to do that. Whether that's Apple or streaming on Spotify or whatever it is, we'd love for you to, to subscribe. You just get notified right there in your feed or in your app. If a new episode comes out, if you'd like to know more about what we're doing, what we're talking about, the episode, the show, all that kind of fun stuff, you can find all that out and more and more over at touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is the website that houses this show, also called Touchpoint, but about close to 20 other shows, other topics, other show hosts, all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, you can float over there, check it out, and find uh, other things you may be interested in digging into. While you're there, there is the TPS report. You'll see that kind of mentioned there. Would encourage you to subscribe. Won't take but a second. You're going to then get an email each Monday morning. That's it. That's all you're going to get. One email each Monday morning, five articles to start your week. Let's do this. Let's pause for just a second. You can actually jump over there if you want. Don't do it if you're driving. Just make a mental note, Touchpoint.help. <laughs> uh, we'd love for you to check out the site and then we'll uh, we'll be back with today's show.
0: and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, Reed, we're going to talk about something that we know is important when we're developing patient experience solutions. We know it's important when we're developing branding experiences as well. It's something that we as marketers think about all the time and are trying desperately to do, And that is being personal or implementing personalization.
1: Personalization is an interesting topic. It's actually come up several times for me uh, with clients with work here as of late, as people have looked at automation and different pieces of technology, I guess, or kind of what do we need to be doing to engage? And uh, the first article we're actually going to talk about is from our friends over at Forbes. Actually, I don't don't have any friends at Forbes, (laughs) but... I don't know. Maybe you do, or maybe people listening do. But the the article is called The Future of Healthcare Personalization.
0: Yeah, and this is an interesting article because it gets into care personalization, which I think is very important because healthcare uh, is also very much inextricably tied to experience. But they say here how healthcare operates internally and how customers interact with their care providers is radically changing now. To become much more consumer centric and much more convenient. And at the heart of that is personalization.
1: The article actually goes through what they call four pillars of the future of healthcare personalization. So we're gonna jump in. The mm-hmm. first one is uh, abundance of data, or Ooh. data, depending on where you are in the country. So they talk about the fact that, you know, personalization efforts or any good personalization effort is really rooted in the idea of of quality data.
0: And there is such an amount of data that's out there. Statistic, they say here over a lifetime, the article states, each person generates the equivalent of more than 300 million books of personal and health related data that could unlock valuable insights into their health and well-being.
1: 300 million books. How am I supposed to validate that? <laughs> I might as well say, like, you know, it's the equivalent of 300 million watermelons. Well, it's just, I mean, just, we're just making up stuff now. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> one terabyte of information. It's like, well, how? Okay. Just, But but I think the point is, is certainly there's a lot that each person generates that w- that could make, you know, your efforts toward them very hyper-personalized, right, is, is mm-hmm. kind of the point. Uh, and so they talk about as more devices and data become uh, available and accessible, the abundance of data will continue to grow. So we think about like wearables, apps, digital devices, et cetera. That's where a lot of the production of this is. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're actually like, you know, on the keyboard, stroking keys and actually creating information. It's just everything we have now is connected. You know, the internet of things, if you will.
0: A lot of that growth of data is now inextricably linked to the growth of telehealth, of course. Mm. No big surprise there. Which leads kind of to the second of their four pillars, which is connected tools and data. Because collecting data is just the first step. The key to true personalization, they indicate, is to align the data
1: and then communicate it, contextualize it. This should be, um, I guess, well known or, or realized by everybody. But the healthcare isn't a one size fits all approach. So just because you and I, Chris, may struggle with the same condition, illness, disease, you know, whatever it may be, uh, you know, it, it could potentially and most and you know, probably does manifest itself. Uh, very different based on who you are, where you live. All of that data and consolidating and
0: analyzing and contextualizing and critical to personalization, but that becomes a big challenge. That's why we talk a lot about AI and machine learning in this capacity, because they could help source, you know, call through all of that, that data. They always leave these little bombs at the end of each one of these. This one says by connecting patient data from around the world, Healthcare providers now have all the resources available to personalize care.
1: <laughs> Nobody has any concerns about that. Like that, just nope. pretty low, uh, uh, low barrier. Uh, uh, uh. There, let's just connect all the data in the world. Smash cut to a James Bond movie, but anyway. exactly <laughs> <laughs> the third pillar: uh, widespread automation. So, in an industry, they say based on a myriad of data uh, and continual research and scientific discoveries one of the roadblocks to healthcare personalization is humans themselves. It's actually often they say too difficult for humans to stay up to date on data and treatment options. It's too time consuming. I, you know, we've heard Dr. V and other friends of the show talk about the fact of trying to read like, you know, medical literature, you know, like you do, you can't, like you can't read it all. Like you can't keep up in that mm-hmm. way. Like mm-hmm. you used to maybe be able to.
0: So in the future, We should be able to automate and sort through that information faster to create personalized recommendations. Imagine if we have a computer-assisted aid to be able to help us make sense and contextualize all of that so that we know when we're engaging with a, a patient that we can now start to engage with them in a much more personalized way. I've been watching some of the Marvel movies and Iron Man has the system Jarvis, right? AI assisted technology, I guess, to help make, make sense of everything that's happening around him. We need one of those. We need a Jarvis by our side,
1: so to speak. That's exactly what I was thinking.
0: The fourth pillar is proactive treatment. Okay, so now we have the data, lots of data, abundance of it. We have the tools that are connected all together. We have the automation. Now that leads to the fourth pillar point of proactive treatment. The future of healthcare is more about preventing disease and treating it. And so in this future state that this Forbes article is outlining, doctors are going to focus on preventative measures to proactively address issues instead of waiting to perform emergency procedures or risky procedures at the time of need.
1: We've talked about moving from sick care to, to actual well care. You know, because right right now we're treating everyone in a reactive standpoint, at least for the most part. And so this is an interesting topic and I, it's going to be curious. I'm curious to see they talk in here about AI and data focused on patient behaviors and risk factors could identify those that are predisposed to certain conditions. Um, and so I think that's where really the, the equity in, in all of this comes in from a care delivery standpoint.
0: Yeah, I'm just wondering if there's a certain amount of uh, our population here in the US that's kind of adverse to science at this point in time. I'm wondering if they realize that Future of healthcare delivery will involve AI and machine learning. I wonder how many people are going to trust that. If we could start to focus on that, right, then we could start to become more focused on public health measures like general health, lifestyle recommendations. I, although these four pillars seem to very naturally follow one another, I think that this future state that this Forbes article is kind of alluding to is a little bit utopian right now. I don't think we're even close to that. What do you think, Reid?
1: Obviously, I'm not the best to weigh in on you know how how far down the track we are with really any of this, but uh, I will say, I, if I had to guess, I would say probably not. Now there may be a hybrid model here, certainly, and I think it's still going to require human intervention and the trust that physicians and other clinicians have built with patients to go down this path. But yeah, I mean, I think it it's certainly uh, an interesting look uh, into hopefully what the what the future brings.
0: With that, why don't we take a quick break? And after we after the break, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about personalization as it enters into the marketing and communications suite. And we'll do that right after this brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media.
1: All right. So we played uh, physician there in the first half of the show <laughs> and, uh, and data scientists. Uh, I, uh, I waited on a bunch of things I know nothing about. So now let's actually talk about something that we uh, do know or that I at least know a little bit about. Certainly, you know, the expectations around all of this as it relates to digital marketing trends. We like to talk about trends and those types of things. So let's let's maybe start there. Sure,
0: there's an article that an agency put out that actually synthesized our thoughts pretty well. So we'll use that as sort of a backdrop for the conversation read for this part of the show. It's called The New Normal: Higher Expectations, 2021 Healthcare Digital Marketing Trends. As we move further and further into this world of personalization and care is evolving to personalization, et cetera, healthcare marketers are moving along with that. You know, as we view the future of what personalized care looks like in the future we also need to start to look at personalized marketing now that's not to say we haven't been doing personalized marketing to date right reed i mean we we're already doing that
1: yeah yeah i mean even even in just various you know very simple targeting methods right uh, there's some level of personalization i would argue with everything that you're doing now it's really just how far down that path you've gone and, and are
0: going we're using marketing automation, email personalization, website personalization to a certain extent. Well, here are three trends in healthcare that kind of as a look back at what we just went through in 2020 and move forward to 2021, where this article predicts we're going to head. And the first one is a return to following the science. Now in marketing, what that means is following the data, right? Because for us, the science of marketing is in data. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and they say in here not necessarily that doesn't mean necessarily the historical numbers, right? But trends, what's working now? Uh, they talk in here about the fact that agencies and healthcare markers, you know, we, we have to be prepared to to pivot quickly. Again, we're back to the friends episode. I feel like we should pivot a lot <laughs> in those shows. Anyway. <laughs> Based on what we're seeing in real time, this is where A-B testing comes in, certainly the heat maps and user experience type feedback mechanisms that we've used. Right. And and
0: we have to look also be comfortable in like kind of seeing where those proactive insights lead us. So things like social listening, continually monitoring to get everyday insights, the voice of customer stuff that we've talked about before, this is really going to be very informative for us as we start to follow the data, so to speak.
1: It really is. And so if you look at what they call out as some of the hottest topics, now this is kind of Q1 into Q2, if you will, but I don't know that this has changed a lot, even, even over the last few months. But they talk a lot about you know topic trends being around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, certainly that makes sense. Uh, preventative care and, and thought leadership.
0: I mean, if you think about that, that all of those things kind of make sense, they, they kind of align to some of the things that we're crafting our brand positioning on as hospitals and health systems, kind of leveraging that trust that we've talked about. So another trend that they see is increased ad spending. Oh boy, here we go. But I'm noticing that myself, right? Ad expenditure has already increased steadily prior to the pandemic. And everyone's predicting that in 2021, it's going to increase another $2 billion over the previous year, $2 billion. Now, of course, that's all ad spending, but healthcare is certainly a big component of that.
1: Sure. And I mean, this is the, you know, needed to be able to, you know, buy eyeballs, you know, buy the reach, buy the, the visibility around some of the initiatives that we're having. So, Um, You know, they talk in here about that, you know, savvy marketers are investing in relevant, personalized, interactive digital ads, emails that could be laser focused. Again, more of the, uh, not to use the healthcare pun here, but the scalpel approach versus just like kind of, scattering, you know, information across the internet through ads and that kind of thing, right? So it's like, who are we specifically, and maybe even more, more, who are we not trying to put this message in front of? Now, it's interesting, this advertising
0: agency also is saying that 2021 is going to be redirected to more wellness and proactive procedures, similar to where healthcare is going. We see marketing going in that way. When we do that, that's going to get to services and, 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 and different offerings that we provide that are very notoriously difficult to track and measure. So they, they say that there's going to be a tightening of the, of the coin purse, but that's probably going to be due to increased efficiency and improved strategy to free up extra dollars for additional marketing and branding endeavors to support that. So if you think about we're pivoting away from sort of the traditional ways we were doing advertising and personalization in the past to more of a very Focused effort, and then also reaching out to these kind of nebulous categories like wellness. It's going to be an interesting model.
1: Really is the third and final trend, I guess that they talked about here in this in this particular article is uh, around the hybrid nature of everything. It's all about hybrids. It's all about hybrids. It's why Tesla is so actually Tesla's <laughs> not a hybrid, Tesla, <laughs> it's just a pure electric vehicle. Every
0: I think everyone agrees that telehealth. Had good and bad with it, but patients and providers are seeing value of it, and I think a lot of case providers are seeing value because they don't have to spend a lot of time in a car, right, driving to and from their patients. Now they could try to treat them through these tele I mean, setting aside the fact about uh, equity to to digital health, et cetera, uh, there is a lot of promise around digital as a as a as a means forward for this.
1: You know, much like everything else, I mean, I think we won't see the. I, again, I'm making some assumptions here, but we're not going to see, and they talk about it here, not going to see the the conference circuit go back to what it was, you know, specifically where it was only in person, right? Yeah, I think you're going to have people certainly that want to do that. and There's a advantage to doing that, which I think everybody could advocate for. But there's also the ability to participate in this education, if you will, Saving time, money, travel expenses, you know, the, really, because if you think about it, in, in most cases, when we have paused spending in, in hospitals historically, it's really been, and I'm talking about pre-COVID and, and all that kind of stuff. It's really been, that's the first place everybody goes, you know, because they can save a lot of expense relative to the track, you know, the, the plane, the hotel, the Uber, the out to eats, you know, that, that kind of
0: thing. We're going to see that also happen with in-person events that you may have, you know, where orthopedic surgeons or weight loss surgeons may have people coming in to do seminars. We're going to do more virtual of those, right? And by the way, you can always measure it better, but there is really the strong sense of urgency to build on this momentum to become more hybrid. And the, the article really 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 cautions that we can't allow ourselves to revert back. We can't start doing things the old way. We need to start moving towards the future. And the future is really around what our patient's best interests are. Hybrid user experiences, platform security, video, non-video options. There's a lot of things that are kind kind of built into this. The good news is that we're on the precipice of being able to really start to develop Really interesting personalized experiences, but that doesn't mean it's that easy, right, Reid? It's still a little bit difficult.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know that any of this. I mean, certainly it's not easier. Everybody would just start doing it, right? Like, there's no real downside to like the hybrid environment, right? Or or a lot of these other things that we talked about. Certainly, the increased ad spend. I mean, you got to have more money to do. But this is uh, requires a different way of thinking. To that end, why don't we? pause our part of the show and we'll go
0: to an interview that we did recently with John Burnt, a good friend of the show he and I actually had a chance to sit down and talk about the different levels of personalization. and we went deep into this. We went we talked about the opportunities, the different tools like CRM versus a consumer data platform, etc. And he even outlines a, a couple of steps that health systems who are beginning down this path of personalization that they should start to follow. He is the expert. He actually wrote the book about personalization in healthcare and so it's an interesting interview which we'll listen to right after this break. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast, and today we have a regular, it seems like, on our program, someone who's been on our show a number of times before, and a veritable expert, and also a colleague, and I also consider him my friend, John Burnt. John, welcome to the show. Great to be
2: here, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Now, I know you, we've known each other for a very long time, but some people listening in may not know about you and your background and the company you work for. Would you mind giving them a brief uh, introduction to who you are?
2: Sure. I'm the CEO of a company called TBG, the Burnt Group. It's a national customer experience agency, mainly focused on healthcare, although we do some other work in some other sectors. And that company is actually uh, celebrating its 30th year in digital this year. Mm. Um, which is also my 30th year in digital. And I run that company. And I also am co-founder of the Consortium of Personalization Professionals, which is a great industry group that works on advancing personalization practice. And I am also uh, author of a book called Personalization Mechanics. You can get on Amazon, which is about, roughly speaking, the, the digital operations implications of adopting personalization.
0: See, when I said we have uh, an expert on the show around the topic at hand today, which is personalization, I meant it. John, you wrote the book on personalization, and so to speak, yes, exactly. So that's great because Reed and I have been talking about it throughout the show today, and the the topic of personalization is, is somewhat. Has a mis- mystique around it, I should say. When, when you say it, people may mean different things and it may be, can express itself in different ways. So I'm, I'd love to, I'm looking forward to kind of jumping into that today with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, I think one thing that maybe you're getting at with those comments is that personalization has this odd, um, it has an odd uh, kind of place in the digital world in the sense that it's such a self evident sort of concept, you know, the idea that you would want to show people things that are relevant to them um, is pretty inarguable. I mean, you know, there there, there there turn out to be lots of issues with it and twists and turns with it. But but essentially, that idea that you would provide targeted experiences, that you would engage with people, meet them where they are, tune things to their identities and so forth, I think it's a pretty, pretty straightforward idea that everyone feels generally positively about. And, and then it, it kind of shuts off in many conversations at that point, because the actual realities of delivering those kinds of experiences are a bit complex and are a bit abstract in the kind of strategy and thinking that needs to go into them. And so there just aren't a lot of people out in the world that actually are, are up to doing that work. And so there's a big divide between the self-evidence of the concept of personalization and the reality on the ground of people trying to implement it and also trying to even figure out what they, what they really should do in their
0: Exactly. in their particular circumstance, yeah. Well, let's start first with uh, kind of the expectation of our typical healthcare consumer. I don't know if there's a typical healthcare consumer. Yeah. From your experience, when we think about consumerism in healthcare, there's a certain level of personalization that is expected by that consumer, but there are others that are seen to be a little bit creepy, You know, might go a little bit sure. too far. So I'd love to get your perspective on that. I think there's kind of an unusual set of,
2: overlays in healthcare for personalization, um, even more than in the kinds of experiences that we expect to be personalized, say in commerce, like, you know, Amazon being a perfect example, or um, in, you know, sort of more narrow uh, and and less serious areas like, you know, media and things like that, that are often um, directly personalized. I think in healthcare, there, there's really very different Expectations between uh, sort of retail consumer healthcare, especially once people have engaged, you know, in some way um, with trying to become a patient or with trying to set up an appointment. If you're doing that through a Minute Clinic or through a, a ambulatory care uh, center or a lot of other more transactional direct healthcare outlets, I think there's a growing expectation that there will be personalized information coming back to you, whether it's through the website or email or texts, um, or all of the above. I think it gets a little more complicated when you're in the health system space, because there are so many different audiences at play and doing so many different types of things. All those use cases do create some complexity for personalization. And also because I think just culturally what people expect from their health systems is a little bit more restrained, I would say, than what they expect from patient first or something like that. So uh, there, there are some cultural perception factors you have to take into consideration. You mentioned the creepiness I think one thing that people often really get wrong in healthcare personalization is they come up with a strategy and they try to implement it in a very um, consistent, symmetrical way across lots of different service lines, conditions, treatments, um, other things. And, you know, sometimes a strategy that is completely acceptable In relation to personalization, with say sports medicine or um, something like marketing, a general practitioner or pediatrician or something is a really bad strategy to employ if you are talking about cancer or um, you know serious neurological disorders or something like that, because of the level of sensitivity of the consumers who are dealing with you know very very heavy problems, and um, it can seem very very tone deaf to them if. They interact with you, your site a couple times and then start immediately becoming overly aware that the site knows exactly what they're looking for. Right. And that, that's the creepiness that you mentioned. So I think there's a lot of thinking that has to go into how these things are applied in a way that qualitatively maps to uh, different areas of healthcare care and the norms around interactions with them and, and not just sort of a one size fits all approach.
0: I mean, when we talk about personalization in healthcare, I mean, it's, it's really centered around the empathy, around user-centered design, understanding where that, that individual person is in their own particular journey and being sensitive to that. Some of the ways that you were describing you know, the levels of personalization, too, it got me thinking, John, that there are certain things that people will expect – to be personalized, depending on where they are. If they come to your just general hospital website, having that awareness around that, that website is starting to track you and personalize to you very specifically, that can very quickly hasten that kind of distrust with that channel, right? The website channel. But if you log into, let's say, a patient portal or a cancer app... That's something a little bit different because there is that perception of like you're behind a firewall or something. Is is that a fair way to kind of start to think about? Yeah, this? I mean, I think
2: I think there's a. It, I, I wrote something about five years ago where I compared personalization to the uh, the, the concept of the uncanny valley in uh, robotics. There's uncanny valley is like the idea that if you simulate a human being like in a robot the more human it seems, it gets creepier and creepier. And then at a certain point, if it's perfectly human, it gets a lot less creepy. Um, and somebody else had the same idea and there were actually two essays published in the same year that used this metaphor, but I think it's a good metaphor, which is that, that there's, a, there's a point at which people feel they've given permission to personalize. And up to that point, personalization has to be low key and it has to be done in a way where it supports whatever the, the the goals are, but it doesn't it doesn't seem to be infringing on the person's private space. And I think in healthcare, the overall calibration is like a little higher towards the sensitivity. People do get very confused about the um, whole issue of PHI and HIPAA protected data. Like you know, for instance, anonymous web interactions are not HIPAA protected data by any means. And Um, their expressions of interest, and they're covered in HIPAA law in a totally different way. But it it can be like a little too much if somebody realizes like, hey, this website knows a ton about the fact that I'm interested in this specific, embarrassing physical complaint. Plus, another person may come and use the same computer in the same household. And, you know, at that point, you really would be oversharing too much data to to another family member or something. So you have to be really careful about stuff like that, but I think you can still accomplish the goals and I would I would sort of split the you know in healthcare the the use of of personalization into sort of three rough categories just to be able to sort of talk about not not the techniques or the level of customer data that's involved, but just the kind of intention of the personalization. There's personalization that is meant to move forwards a conversion or move forwards, you know, scheduling an appointment or something like that. And that's usually through some form of validation, although it can also be directly saying like, you've got halfway through this form, would you like to complete it? Those kinds of possible. Then there's personalization that is um, really, which which I'm a big fan of and which I think is underutilized by healthcare orgs, which is really about making the patient experience really good in some way. So things like making logistics easier, reminding people of what their plans were through different channels, all that stuff that sort of enables the patient to have the least bad experience of visiting the healthcare provider or getting the care that they need through telemedicine or whatever. And then the third area is is sort of more broad and it's sort of, you know, overall re-engagement. So for instance, you know, you have somebody who is a patient without looking at their HIPAA information, you can still there's still some things that you can um, access that you can use to try to find ways of re-engaging them with the health system. That can also be done very sensitively, but there's tremendous potential for uptake because there's a lot of systems that have patients that, you know, only use them for one thing. They only use them for specialists, you know, in a particular area. But you have a tremendous opportunity if they've had a good experience to broaden that, to include their general practitioner, health checkups, population health stuff that you can do, with them, um, all kinds of things like that. And, and that can all be driven by, you know, customer data and personalization as well. So all those things are accomplishable without getting into that creepy space. But you have to be really thoughtful about it. And you have to kind of understand the norms and also have some, some guardrails and some practices that are designed to avoid this, you know, unintentional creepiness, I guess.
0: Yeah. And as you describe those three levels, which I think is really a handy framework to think of, you know, I also think about the tools that are associated with supporting the personalization efforts. So like in your first one around meant to move like some kind of conversion or or what have you, I think of understanding what keywords they react to on an ad, right? So then you use that strategy, your website can kind of direct them to the right place, and they can make that form a little bit more optimized. That's kind of a more a high level type of technology to support that. But when you start to go down the other ones around making experience look good, and then overall re-engagement, it suddenly becomes much more complicated, and more and more people get involved in the personalization effort, and more and more systems too, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I think um, that's generally true. I mean, I think one of the things, another sort of related thought that, that reinforces what you just said, but also just is a sort of a different dimension to it, is that the amount of personalization that you attempt and the periods of time over which you attempt to do it, I have a, a direct proportionality to how complicated it gets to get to relevance. And so the reason is that if you're just doing some small straightforward thing like using you know, GOIP detection to find out where the user is and showing them the convenient locations for a particular service line. This is something we do on almost all the, the sites that we develop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's have it be straightforward and generally get the right thing in front of the right person and get a lot of benefit from it, a lot of loft to conversion and so forth. But if you're doing that, plus you're trying to align with, as you said, whether the person has come into the ecosystem through a, like a Google AdWord campaign, which, by the way, is a great way to get user intention because people generally do not click on cardio test ads unless they really need a cardio test or want one. You know, like, it's it's not something people do for fun. So, you know, it's a great way to get cut right to user intention and right to qualification and so forth. If people are doing that, and then you, you're also, you know, doing the GOIP stuff, and then you're also doing some other stuff based around what they look at on the site, you start to get into a situation where figuring out what the right thing is to automatically surface to them through personalization should be gets a lot harder and people get in this situation where their experimentation with personalization starts to conflict and sort of cancel itself out or pre- present combinations of things that don't make sense to the user that are sometimes hard to detect because it's you know, it's a big job to simulate all the possible user states and see all the different ways your site could be presenting. So, so those are some of the things to think about. I mean, we, we have spent a lot of time at TBG figuring out how to build these really elegant user models where um, you, can, you can kind of be combining all of these characteristics together, but then there's a kind of next best decision process that sorts out this person has these 10 characteristics that sort of puts them into a certain almost like prefab segment that we're going to address in a certain way. And you can build real relevancy, but it's, it's more the advanced course. It's not like the stuff that's easy to do experimentally out of the box. So one of the questions that comes up when people are trying to build a practice around personalization, which is absolutely the way I think people should think about it is how do I get from those initial early experiments something that's, you know, sustainable, where there is sort of like this relevancy basis to it. It's not just did the person do X or Y or, you know, are they X or Y, but of all the things we know about them, what's the next best thing? And and you have to incorpor- incorporate other considerations in there too, like how long has it been since we got this data? You know, somebody had a sports medicine injury two years ago. It's probably not relevant to today. So you have to be able to let go of that data and that might be an automated process that needs to be in place so it can get complicated i think more and more what i'm seeing is health systems are starting to realize that there's so much benefit here that they need to actually start to take either people who are already good you know analytics data you know campaign optimization type folks that they might have and start to build a practice with them around this or you know hire people that have that background in new roles it's definitely a, a, a thing that takes care and feeding and uh, somebody who's willing to learn from other people
0: who've done this before and so forth and cer- certainly with the right like you like you mentioned the right characteristics um, it's it's interesting but before we get to I, I'd love to get your thinking about how health systems should evolve to that but before we do I'm kind of confused as to where does per- personalization live within your martech stack right i I, that's a question that i always have and maybe i'm simplifying that too much but i think about there's a variety of now tools that are available that can offer some level of personalization we you know we talked about the google ad word kind of sharing that or geolocating idea uh, geolocation ip addresses on your website you know there's CMSs that do personalization. There is tools like CDP, customer data platforms. There are chat bots that could do personalization. There's a lot of help me understand sort of like the technology and stuff.
2: It's a big topic, and I can um, go on about this at great length and it would probably <laughs> bored a lot of people at cocktail parties about it, but 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 essentially um, I, I would say w- one way of thinking of it is that there are systems that are more... So there's a proliferation of platforms. I would say there's a limited number that are actually good. And by actually good, I mean can be really used in a sustained way for a long period of time at, at all. And even those are a little bit limited when you start to build a practice around them because one of the things that has held this category of platform back is that there are just not enough people actively doing enough work in these platforms. The people who are actually doing real, have real personalization practices are, it's a growing number, but it's, it's still like a relatively 10 years in, it's still a a relatively novel thing for people to have a developed practice. So, so the software platforms themselves are not under a tremendous amount of user pressure to improve the usability of, of the the platforms. So there's plenty of platforms out there that are unusably bad. I mean, it's the first thing to say. So, so, so which platform you, you you pick matters a lot now of uh, personalization platforms, there really are three major areas of, of platforms. There are platforms that are integrated with a customer experience platform uh, or CMS. um, And so like, examples that on the high end there that would be, you know, actually good platforms would be Sitecore. Uh, Adobe um, is another one um, comparably uh, powerful. Um, and then there are a couple other, you know, sort of uh, also Rans in that category. And the benefit of those platforms is that they they tend to be very good on the, the sort of delivery side and the management of the, the content and the creative and the assets and the fact that it all gets presented within the same technical front-end framework as the existing site. So the chances of getting everything to look continuous with the rest of the site and not have any issues is is much higher if you use uh, that kind of platform for your delivery. Um, But they are not as strong on the um, the customer data side, um, even though they are... You know, both Sitecore and Adobe um, uh, have uh, customer data platforms now, which makes them a lot stronger. And they both are very open to integration with customer data platforms. But they as a sort of last leg of the thing that manages the rules and the personalization, they do a really good job and they solve some problems that other options uh, don't solve. So that's that's number one. Uh, number two is there's a there's a large number and even uh, Google uh, Optimize I think falls into this category and um, many others Monetate uh, Dynamic Yield Thunderhead lots of lots of platforms out there that are sort of to personalization what a, a freestanding marketing automation platform is to email in the sense that they 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 don't really go deep on customer uh, data they don't really go deep on the sort of delivery uh, end and the, you know, the management of the content for the personalization and the, the actual, you know, technical delivery within the front end framework. Um, But they were more like things that just plug into existing websites. You you put some code in your website templates, they kind of take over the website and they're able to superimpose content on it. These are a little bit harder to use from a digital operations perspective, because as systems, they generally don't do a very good job of uh, managing all the content that you will use in your personalization. And and that's a problem, because if you actually do a lot with personalization, you immediately run into this problem, you're having to go into this weird other system, and you're having to deal with raw content. And then somehow that's being injected into your web pages. And you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Um, and then they usually don't have like a super sophisticated uh, customer data uh, view. Then there's CDPs, customer data platforms, which are you know sort of like customer CRM on on steroids or something. And the main thing that CDPs do to you, do for you is they they allow you to reconcile many different views of the customer that come in across many different channels. So the famous thing that CDPs do is they allow you to figure out that somebody on mobile is the same person on desktop and many other related things. And a lot of CDPs now have some kind of delivery rules engine. And so they're almost like the flip side of the Adobe Sitecore CMS customer experience platform in the sense that they're heavily weighted towards customer data, but they do some delivery. And so they usually have some sort of framework that you can plug, a programmer can plug into to get at personalized content, and they have some ability to manage rules. And sometimes it's even more sophisticated than like, uh, like a, a Sitecore or a uh, Adobe would be. So to answer, this is a long-winded answer to your question, but <laughs> I think you know, the best case is that you have a really strong CDP and a really strong customer experience platform and you are integrating them together. And so you're getting the benefit of being able to manage the content centrally, whether it's default content or personalized content within templates that are perfect and don't need any special programmer help or anything. And then on the other side, you've got like a really robust view of customer data and you're able to combine those things and get to the best personalization, decisioning and so forth. And and kind of leaving out that whole middle Category of like the optimizer products that plug in because they're just they're just kind of lightweight and they don't really they just don't really address all the things that you need to do this well.
0: Many people listening in probably are not at the level where they're thinking that sophisticatedly about personalization. So you know, I know that that's it's a road to get there, right? It it, you mentioned it, right? Let not many there's not much discipline going on in the healthcare space for those people that are thinking about this and want to start going down that path of personalization. What do you, as the expert in this space, what, how would you guide them there? What, What would they have to do? Well, I mean, I I think like an inexpensive way to experiment with
2: it and to see, you know, geo IP effects and things like that, um, and to be able to get there relatively quickly is Google Optimize. It's not that expensive. It is one of those sort of mid tier um, things that you can, you know, plug into the templates of your website or your landing pages and start experimenting with personalization rules and, and, and the like. Um, And it has the benefit of being part of the Google suite, which is honestly where many organizations kind of look at a lot of their customer interaction data through Google Analytics or 360 or or Data Studio or whatever. So I, I don't think that's a bad starter area. I think having a good customer experience platform, I think if you're a health system the cu- and, and of any size, I think the customer experience platforms that you, you, that you should be considering are the ones that do have a personalization built into them, just because they're also the ones that are really secure. And I think in healthcare, you, you, you absolutely need to be on a really secure customer experience platform, especially with all the phishing and ransomware attacks and things like that that have been happening. So, so you might already have those tools, but I think Google Optimize is a, good, is a good fallback. And the other side of it, I think where it really does get complicated, to your point, Chris, is on the more the customer data side. I mean, one of the things that we help people with, but also see a lot of struggle and need in healthcare is the difficulty that people have building uh, a satisfying uh, CRM practice and You know, CDP is like customer data platforms are sort of a step beyond CRM. They're a little bit more abstract in the way that they view the the customers um, and they have involved a lot more um, integrations. Usually all of that, that world of like, we're really going to try to understand our customers. We're going to segment them in different ways. We're going to automate. How we segment them, and we're going to try to programmatically address them. I think that's that's really the, the, the daunting area in some ways uh, for healthcare organizations, and it's partially a talent issue because there just are not that many people in the on the market that have those skills um, that can be readily hired to run those uh, those practices. But I think there's enormous value there, and if you're really going to get serious about personalization. It goes hand in hand with trying to get to a a better view of of customer data. And it also, as you know, I mean, you're an expert in this too, but it it really goes to all the other things that healthcare wants to do to transform itself to be more patient centric. Right. You know, that customer data piece is just essential to how you would, you know, do automated follow ups and all the other things that you want to do to really be uh, like a consumer centric
0: healthcare brand. That's really helpful. So what I'm hearing is your consumer experience platform, i.e. where your website should become, your CRM practice and your CDP practice, all of those are critical as part of this journey, but um, working their way into it. I think that's, that's really smart advice. Okay, so... I would be remiss as we end this conversation today, there's a lot of talk around the demise of the the third-party cookies, right? And what that impact will have on personalization. What's your perspective on that? Um, I think it's a pretty big deal.
2: I I think there are going to be all kinds of emerging ways that people persist identity of users uh, beyond third-party cookies you know, and and I think there will be like a, a sort of a transition that happens uh, with that. I'm generally a fan of privacy. I mean, it's rather ironic given what I do for <laughs> a living. I, one of the things that I was most upset about in 2020, the pandemic year, was I, I had a nice uh, speaking engagement to talk about digital privacy at South by Southwest Interactive that got canceled. And I was all set to, you know, kind of really lay out um, my perspective on it. But But um, no, I think you're going to see a lot more complexity of opt-in activity. One of the things that has really been uh, like a wave that's gone through our, we have about 40 health systems we work with in North America. One of the things that's been a real wave that's run through those health systems is people's interest in a sort of subscription center concept. So it's not just, do you want to be tracked or not, but sort of what do you want to subscribe to? Of our digital products, where do you want to be tracked? What what information can we have? It's like a much more granular view. I think it's really problematic operationally, honestly, because most of the teams that run these kinds of ecosystems are pretty understaffed for what they already do. And you know, when you create those big expectations from users, there is some exposure if you're not able to like you know deliver on them consistently. But I think it's interesting, um, and I think that you're not going to see probably an absolute reduction in how much tracking and personalization happens on the web. It's just going to get a lot more complicated, I think, how it takes place. And there'll probably be more opportunities for user input along the way, which of course is a healthy uh, direction for society. But, you know, I mean, one thing that has a- always been a part of personalization that we don't usually talk about uh, too much, um, but it's it's in the background is, you know, that, that there really are these Uh, demographic data sets you can get where using tracking pixels and third-party cookies and things like that people will have been profiled across many many sites and there's like a composite multi-brand multi-site view of of me john Byrne, in terms of what my interests are and so forth that is uh, something that you can buy and you can you know the first time the person hits your site you could be already personalizing against that not many people, and I, I don't think I've ever known anyone in healthcare to do that, but in some other sectors where we work, like some large B2B um, and B2C companies we work for, they, they do do that, where they're, where they're buying data sets and you, you can have never been on their site before, and they can already know a lot about you demographically, income level, what your buying habits are, and so forth and so on. So I, I tend to generally think it's all part of a move in a good direction, but it's certainly... Um, is going to create a lot of challenges for um, the, the platform vendors and also uh, some some challenges in practice as well.
0: It's an interesting thing to look at. I, I kind of caution people that get all spooked out about it to say the use of third-party data in healthcare is not as frequent as you think it is. It it does certainly affect other industry segments for sure, but it's a good perspective. John, I could talk to you all day long about a variety of topics. Uh, This has been a really great conversation though, around personalization. You've really uh, elevated yourself up to your reputation. You, you are the expert. You have, you have shared your expertise with us. I really appreciate that. But I know there's going to be a lot of people listening in that may want to uh, learn a little bit more about you and maybe continue the conversation? What's a good way for them to find you online?
2: Unfortunately, my last name is is hard to spell. And <laughs> uh, my company is burntgroup.net, but burnt is spelled B-E-R-N-D-T. And on Twitter, I'm R-John, J-O-H-N, burnt B-E-R-N-D-T. So those are some good places to start. Um, you could probably also find me through the consortium of personalization professionals, which is maybe a little easier to spell.
0: We'll put links to all of ways that they could get a hold of you in our show notes. So don't worry if you don't know how to spell John's last name, click through to the links on the show notes for that. Well, John, thank you so much for uh, sharing all your expertise today. Really appreciate the conversation.
2: Always a total pleasure, Chris. I'll come back anytime and we can talk about other things. Sounds good. I'll hold you to that promise.
1: All right. Special thanks to John for coming on the show again. Uh, I'm not sure what that what that tallies, but I know he's up there with our probably in the top five of uh, frequency of guests, and um, you know that's not on accident. So certainly appreciate uh, his time, effort, energy, and brains uh, for coming on the show. I mentioned earlier in the podcast about signing up for the TPS report. Touchpoint.health is the website you can do that over there. In addition to those five articles that you'll get each Monday morning to start off your week, you'll notice at the bottom, if you scroll down to the bottom of that email, there's some quick little helpful links to all upcoming industry education. Uh, So be sure to check that out if you want to register for a conference. Uh, Several of them are hybrid, obviously. And uh, we encourage you to uh, click through and uh, and get registered for the fall. Uh, What do you have for a recommendation today? Reed, I was one
0: of those many individuals in the United States that succumbed, succumbed, succumbed. I don't know the right way to say that, to Prime Day on Amazon. Mm. And you know what the number one thing that people purchased on Prime Day this year? I
1: don't
0: know. Robotic vacuums. And I was one of those people.
1: Well, there
0: you go. (laughs) You know, it was a great deal. It was one of those where the price point is at a point where it was much, very much affordable. Uh, After doing my my reviews online and review and reading all the reviews and everything. Yeah. The best product pr- by price, the best value is uh, a, a vacuum robot by UFY, E U F Y. I think that's how you pronounce their name. Nice. It's the RoboVac G30. It's a robotic vacuum with the smart dynamic navigation. It could be controlled by your Alexa device and an app if you want to. It can go on carpets and hard floors. I love it. Never had a robotic vacuum before. We, of course, the first thing we did, we got it plugged in, charged up. We Of course, we had to start it. And for the next 90 minutes, my wife and I were just delighted watching it learn the floor that we had it on, our main floor, watching it navigate between chair legs and underneath sofas. We were sitting on our sofa and all of a sudden it went right under the sofa and then it maps it all out afterwards and it has it in an app so the next time it 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 vacuums your floors it's much more efficient it's a lot of fun it was a great deal on prime day i'm sure they're going to go on sale again in the future because these things are becoming more and more ubiquitous but if you're looking for one choose the ufi g30 or the g30 edge if you want a bit extra there it's really really powerful so love it
1: well, I'm gonna recommend a YouTube channel. People that have listened for a while probably have picked up on the fact that I like to build and create and you know that kind of thing. And I've really gotten into um, a YouTube channel of some guys that do furniture design. It's a little more modern, mid-century looking stuff. Uh, it's called Four Eyes. They build some really cool stuff and a lot of instructional videos and things like that. So if you're, if you're into that and you like those types of things, highly recommend them The in the video production that they actually, you know, the way they produce their videos is really cool and well done as well. So yeah, four eyes on YouTube and you can pick up some, uh, some great ideas as well. Have to check it out. All right. Well, another episode in the books. Thanks for joining us for episode number 230. Thanks again to John Uh, rate, review, subscribe wherever you happen to be listening. Bounce over to the website, touchpoint.health, and uh, sign up for the TPS report. Many, many thanks again for uh, Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.